Hola mi gente. The moment you've been waiting for is finally here. My brand new book, Financially Lit, is officially out. And I can't wait for you to get your copy. Inside this book, I'm bringing you culturally relevant and relatable personal finance advice that will allow you to finally feel seen, heard, and understood. Whether it's the guilt you feel from being the first person to make it while members of your family are still struggling, or the way that financial trauma manifests itself in negative and limiting beliefs around money, Financially Lit is here to guide you through it all. Just a few years ago, it was almost impossible to find personal finance books written for first-generation wealth-building Latinas. We have been forced to navigate the complicated world of money with a bunch of money books written by old white dudes who don't understand what it's like for us first-gen kids. But that stops right here, right now. Inside Financially Lit, you will learn how to set boundaries with your familia, with your dinero, create and pass on generational wealth, diversify and increase your income, protect yourself from financial abuse, navigate the complicated relationship between amor and dinero, invest like a white dude or better, and so much more. You can get your hard copy and audiobook version of Financially Lit at financiallylitbook.com and make sure to join our email list so you can find out when I'm stopping in a city near you for the Financially Lit book tour. See you soon. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. You're listening to Yo Quiero Dinero, a personal finance podcast for the modern Latina. I'm your host, Janice Torres-Rodriguez, personal finance expert, speaker, writer, and business coach. I teach women of color how to build wealth and gain financial independence through side hustles and investing. On this show, we're serving up POC-friendly personal finance knowledge, always with a side of sass. We're talking about how to make dinero, how to keep it, and how to make it grow. If you're ready to become poderosa with your dinero, you've come to the right place. Hi, guys. Welcome back to another episode of Yo Quiero Dinero, the podcast. This is your host, Janice. And oh my God, can I tell you that when this next guest replied to my email and agreed to be on the podcast, I legit fangirled. Like, oh my God. So Carmen Perez, if you don't know who she is, like, first of all, get your life together because she's fucking amazing. She's also a content creator and the founder of Make Real Sense. Carmen has found a very unique way to talk about money like in the most approachable way ever. She is hilarious. Like the way that she uses social media, it's just hashtag goals for real. She has managed to make personal finance like something that I actually want to learn about because it's her. It's all her personality. Like she's hysterical. We were actually like, cutting it up before we started recording the episode. And I was just like, within five seconds of talking to her, I'm like, yo, like if we knew each other in real life, because you know, everybody in the personal finance community is like friends online. If we knew each other in real life, I would be hanging out with the chick all the time because she is just a ball of freaking fun. So if you don't know who Carmen Perez is, she's a personal finance content creator and founder of Make Real Sense, a personal finance platform dedicated to helping people achieving financial independence and avoiding the mistakes she made early on. In 2016, Carmen started a journey towards becoming debt-free. She had terrible credit, no money saved, and she was actually sued for her student loan. She has since completely transformed her finances and has paid off approximately $57,000 of debt in two and a half years. Carmen officially became debt-free in September of 2018, and in August of 2019, she said YOLO, saved up some money, quit her job, and went into coding. I mean, hello, I told you she's a fucking rock star. Okay! Carmen's been featured in Forbes, The Skim, and she's currently a member of Business Insider's Money Council for 2020. So as you probably can already tell by this story, 
Like, Carmen has legit transformed her life, honey, okay? And so I hope that this story inspires you. If you're in a place where you just feel like, yo, I will never get my shit together. Don't stop believing. Boo. You can and you will, especially after hearing Carmen's story. So let's dive in. Hold up. Before we get into today's episode, I want to tell you about today's sponsor for the podcast, ScholarRaise. If you're looking for a better way to save for your kids' education, ScholarRaise is a community-based college savings platform that lets your friends and family contribute online, knowing it's going towards something great. Imagine what your child could do if they could graduate with less student debt. Maybe they'll get a head start in investing and building their own wealth. Maybe they'll head overseas to expand their horizons. Or perhaps they can afford to take that unpaid dream internship and gain priceless experience. Whatever it is, it's better than shoveling a portion of their salary into an interest-bearing black hole. Am I right? Here's the problem. Most of us aren't using the proper tools to save. We're led to believe that a student loan is the best option. But ScholarRaise is different. Accounts are free, easy to set up, and there are no surprises. And your earnings grow tax-free, your money's invested so it can grow faster than a savings account. Like six times faster. Simply put, it's the easiest and most effective way to save for college. Are you ready to start investing in your child's future? Awesome. The sooner you start, the more time it has to work. Open your account in three easy steps. That's it. No catch, no bullshit. Scholarize. Save for college the smart way. Sign up at scholarize.com slash dinero. Carmen, thank you so much for being here. I don't know if you can hear the excitement in my voice, but I'm so fucking excited to talk to you today. (laughs) Thanks for having me on, girl. I appreciate it. Absolutely. So for anybody who's been living under a rock and doesn't know who Carmen Perez and Make Real Sense is, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Absolutely. So uh, hi, everyone that's listening. Thank you for joining uh, means you were all about those coins and trying to save your money and do all of that. So kudos to you. My name is Carmen Perez. I run uh, Make Real Sense. It's an online money platform dedicated to millennials to teach them about uh, the do's and don'ts of personal finance. And I like to say like a little humor on the side um, because I used to work in finance for the longest super conservative industry. Um, so I wanted to make sure I had a platform that made money fun and not boring. Um, so I teach everybody about all of my like personal finance blunders um, to basically not make those same mistakes. And uh, yeah, that's my platform. Awesome. And you are one hell of a TikToker too, in case anybody doesn't know. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm fairly new to the TikTok game, but like, yeah, it's, it's, it's working out. It's working out. I just, I never thought I would see people using it for like educational purposes, which gives me hope that, you know, maybe I should be involved, but I don't know. I'm still deciding because there's just so much competition out there at this point. (laughs) It's so fun. I encourage anybody to just hop on. Like it gives you such a place to just be super creative. And it's actually a platform where unlike Instagram, you have to be creative. Um, Mm. So that's what I really enjoy about it. Like that's my true self. It's TikTok. I love it. Okay, so I want to get to know you. I want to get to know your story. And I want everybody to understand why you even started doing this. So why don't we start off with talking about how your relationship with money was formed growing up? When did you first become interested in personal finance? Talk me through the whole thing. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I would say like high school is where it started. Uh, my relationship with money prior to that was just a little, it was, it was a little all over the place. I grew up in a domestic violence household. My parents got divorced. Um, my mom was a single mom, uh, saw her struggle through that, but we didn't really talk about money. Basically she was like, if I can get it, y'all are going to have it kind of deal. But we also knew not to ask, um, for certain things. So there, there was just like that dynamic. Um, so it didn't necessarily come up at home. Um, but like kind of fast forward through all of that hot mess express, um, early childhood, uh, up until like high school where I worked, um, and I played sports and obviously like, uh, I was a 4.0 student. 
um, and just try to like focus on managing my money there. Um, and that's when I kind of became really interested in it, I guess. Uh, you know, your first job in high school, um, I was cleaning at a nursing home. So I was getting my checks there on the weekend, uh, putting in as many hours as I could. Um, and just like, that's probably when I actually started the paycheck to paycheck cycle because I would like float a lot of stuff. Um, but like, you know, gas, um, uh, paying for my car insurance, that's what I was responsible for. And just like basically anything else that I wanted, I would, I would have to buy myself. Um, so I really, really started getting interested in uh, personal finance or finance in general in my economics class. Um, my teacher had started talking about this penny stock that he had made some money on. Uh, and then he said he didn't sell it because he was being basically greedy um, and <laughs> watched it over the course of a few days. They shot up and then went straight down. And that's what penny stocks do. They're very volatile. Um, so it was, inter- it was that story was interesting to me. I'm like, here's this young guy. He's put all his money in the stock market. Like, what's that? And I started getting mm-hmm. really, really into it. Um, actually read like one of my first personal finance books in high school because I was just really whatever I am. I guess, interested in, I dive all in on it. Um, So fast forward to, hey, I really want to make a, I want to be in a career that's very lucrative so I can be able to support my mom. I feel like I owe it to her. That's my like duty, obligation, and honor just to, you know, honor my queen. Uh, So so, um, I said, what's going to be the best way for me to go about getting as much money as possible? So it was like lawyer, possibly might want to do that. Um, Then I looked at, you know, finance because it's something that I really enjoyed. And honestly, math was the, my strongest um, point in high school. I had finished all of my math before I had went into college. So I said, okay, maybe this might be like a thing for me. So I majored in finance. And then from there, that's when um, everything else took place. So my background with money was like, yeah, really like high school is when it kind of, my interest started to peak. Okay. I love that you touched on your sense of duty to your mom. I think that is a thing that many people of color, it's an additional burden that we carry that white people just don't need to deal with because, you know, that generational wealth, man, it's a real thing. And so I love that you touch on that because I think it does shape a lot of how we move with money, right? It's like we make decisions about our careers based on who we need to support, Maybe that's not even like what you're passionate about, but you're Mm -hmm. just like, I need to handle my shit. And then you wake up, you know, a couple years later, like me having a fucking quarter life crisis because I'm like, I don't even like what I'm doing. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. Okay. So let's get into that. So you, you launch your career into finance, like, and then at some point you just realize like, this is not what I wanted. So now what? It was not because I, I mean, it was, I was so tired of being like one of the only people of color, black, Hispanic in the room. Um, mm-hmm. And that started getting like just weighing on me so much, girl. I can't, I can't express to you towards the end of last year, how much it started just taking its toll. It started, mm-hmm. you know, you just become more and more, um, realistic about your trajectory within this uh, industry because you're seeing less and less at the top. At the firm that I was actually at, um, and not to put them on blast, but they have a it's a partnership. Oh, I'm okay with that. I'm just saying <laughs> <laughs> the partnership. No people there. I well, I think there was one Indian guy. Um, there out of 37 partners, there was like two women. Um, wow. at the managing director level, no black manager and uh, managing directors. I think maybe one other, like one, one or two people of color at, in the managing director spot, senior VPs mm-hmm. can't name any black people, can't name any Hispanics. Um, so it was, it was bad. It was really, really bad for this, you know, if this is a private firm. So mm-hmm. I said, look, I need to get out of this. This has become so toxic for me. I got in it for the wrong reasons to make money. Um, for mm-hmm. the right and wrong reasons, but uh, I wanted to make money, and I thought this was going to be something like you see on, you know, Wall Street videos, and it's going to be cool. You're on the stock floor doing all this stuff, and honestly, I still love finance in in theory. I always tell everyone that I would go on and get my master's, my PhD in uh, quantitative finance, but in in practice, it's very different. You're sitting behind a computer all day. You're working very long hours. It's very stressful. Um, 
So I was like, you know what? I need to be able to make a change out of this industry, but how can I do that? Because I'm broke and I have a lot of debt. <laughs> mm, yeah. Yeah. So before we get into how you kind of pivoted your career, let's talk about that debt. So mm-hmm. what was your debt situation like? Where did it come from? What your spending habits were like? What happened? Yeah. So I had a total of 57000 roughly approximately $57,000 of debt. I had student loan debts, which was the bulk of all of that debt. Um, mm-hmm. I also had a car that I hadn't paid off, um, credit cards and collections accounts. So those were like, that was the gambit of all my debt. And my spending okay. habits were really bad because up until this point in 2016, I was living paycheck to paycheck. I was making good money in the city. Um, but a lot of things, and now in like retrospect and even like just gearing up for this podcast, I was thinking about like, you know, my car, while it doesn't seem like it was that, exp- or it shouldn't have been that expensive, it was really eating into a lot of my take home income because of the interest being so high on my car payment because of my back. What was the credit. interest? 18%. <gasps> my God. <laughs> Stop. Yeah, I basically I didn't even know that it was car, possible. Yeah, I put a car on a credit card, basically. Oh my god, that's ridiculous. So yeah, like Wait, in retrospect, how does that it, happen? It was just this terrible credit, and I needed a new car, oh, and I was shit. like, "Look, I need to get this car. Let me do this little trade in." And my friend was like, "Ooh, you know." He went with me at the time I was working at City, and he was like, "When I saw that interest rate, I was like, oh my god.'" <laughs> um, but I needed a new car, and that's what ended up happening. So. It's like these little decisions that maybe you don't necessarily think about. And now in retrospect, I was like, man, that was eating into so much of my income because my my car payment was like 500 and something dollars. Wow. And what were you driving? A Jeep, a 2010 Jeep, girl. (laughs) Patriot. Not even like the cool one. So Uh, yeah, like you, uh, my spending habits were terrible. Yeah. And. (laughs) It's like bad credit compounded that. So I was making good money if you think about it, but then a lot of that money was going directly to bills and interest that I had no business paying that I shouldn't have um, you know, been working on my credit to make sure I didn't get hit with that interest. But that also disproportionately affects uh, people of color, the black community, um, because bad credit costs you a lot of money. Like mm-hmm. some people don't stop to think about it. I didn't. Um, but yeah, so that my spending- is so true. It's, it, you you just end up spending a lot of money. Like, so my spending pro- habits were poor. I was living paycheck to paycheck, had terrible credit, um, and really had at this point like hit rock bottom um, and just said, hey, I need to like figure this out because I don't want to be in this industry for the rest of my life. And that's when I had that mm-hmm. you know, quarter life kind of crisis. Like something needs to happen. Something needs to give because there's no reason why I, I at this point in my career and age, I'm choosing to live paycheck to paycheck at this point. Yeah. I mean, I think it's just so important because this reiterates the whole idea that like you cannot out earn bad spending habits. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter. You could be a millionaire and be fucking broke if you don't know what you're doing. And we are not set up for success as like first gen like people out here in the world, because our families don't know they are there. Most of the time they're not financially literate and nobody's teaching this to us. So it's just like, we're being told, okay, go to school, earn a lot of money, and then what? And it's that whole and then what that like makes the difference between living paycheck to paycheck, just like our parents, or actually doing something different. Right, a hundred percent. That's like such a good. That's such a good point because like you and even even still, even our parents trying their best, they probably didn't even have the time to sit down and like give us this, you know, personal finance one on one because they right. didn't get it. Their parents are hustling. Um, Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. (laughs) Uh, You know, well, that's why we're here. You know, we're here to share our stories because I think the most important thing is for people to realize, like, you are not in this alone. Like, we're all going through some type of struggle because we're all in that, like, phase where we're trying to figure out what to do differently to change the trajectory of our financial situations and also change the trajectory of our, our family's situation. So it's a lot. And it's easy to feel overwhelmed and it's easier to hide. And at some point we got to wake up. So what was that wake up call for you? Well, so it was, it was definitely like, why am I choosing this for myself? Why am I choosing to like associate stress with living paycheck to paycheck? And I just started to have, had this like 
introspective moment over the course of like a month moments, I would say. So I was like, you know what, I really need to like, just get my shit together. So I had stumbled across like Mr. Money Mustache and then Making Sense of Sense. Those are like two blogs. This girl had paid off like a lot of debt and then started her own blog and did all this stuff, made a bunch of money from it. And then Mr. Money Mustache was this guy that retired at 30. And I'm like, wow, like that's going to be me in a couple of years. And I have no money saved. I have all this debt. Like, what am I really doing? And what do Mm -hmm. I really want? So got to that point and I said, you know what? New year, new me. You know how it is. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) New year, new me. 2016, I was like, this is this is where it's at. We're going to make moves and we're going to do this correctly. And you have the money and the capability to do it. Let's do it. So I started on this road of like, I'm going to figure out how to budget, um, started doing that. And then bam, three months in to get to your question, the pivotal moment, this is where it's <laughs> going. This is, you have to stick with this at this point. Three months into this, like... <laughs> Three months into this like budget journey and, you know, trying to figure out what I want to do, I get sued for my student loan. $30,000. Oh, my God. What does that actually mean? Uh, It's just a scary, hot-ass mess. That's what it means. (laughs) (laughs) How how it works out. Because I didn't even know. I I didn't know. I didn't know. You should see my hands right now. They're, like, going all over the place. I go to the mailbox. And I'll just lay this out quickly for you. Go to the mailbox, get a letter. And I open this thing up and it says, you know, Queens County Court, da-da-da-da. Like there's the defendant up at the top, something like that, this ticket number. And then it's like this, you have to answer this complaint. And I'm like, what is this? And then there's, yeah. a, uh, there's a dollar amount on this thing. And I'm like, what, what, do you, what is a complaint? What does this mean? What, like? So I go, I start Googling online and I'm like up late at night. My heart at this point, girl, is like racing because I'm like, what Mm. is this? Um, Come to find out it's like a complaint. And then that's how lawsuits start. (laughs) So it's like, got it. (laughs) Wait, so you had not been paying your student loans up until this point. I had, this is like such a, this is even, this is like a whole nother episode. But basically I had, (laughs) I had been paying all of my Nelnet and all this other student loans. Quick story yeah. is I uh, got defaulted while I was a full-time student in school uh, for the loan that I took out while I was at, at Rutgers. So I went there for one year, transferred home, um, went about my business, and was getting default letters in the mail. And I, to me, my 21-year-old brain was like, okay, they clearly got this messed up because I'm still a full-time student, have been, mm-hmm. have been um, concurrently. Uh, so I just disregarded it, disregarded it, disregarded it, didn't pay it, disregarded it, didn't pay it, so on and so forth. They defaulted yep. me, girl, and that's what leads to the 18, 18% interest because I have a defaulted student loan mm. on my credit report, which cascades through over years, years of just like having bad credit because I have this on my loan, uh, or my, my report, which also costed me a job. It costed a lot of things, right? So it was, it was actually defaulted in, incorrectly, which is where, fast forward to this, um, this lawsuit, because it, basically they violated the promissory note because I was a full-time student in school and they mm-hmm. defaulted and caused a lot of damage over an extended period of time. Um, but fast forward to me getting this student, this loan, um, I had to, I started Googling and, you know, I had to end up getting a lawyer because basically like you can't DIY your way out of this one. <laughs> like, absolutely you, not. You, you need a lawyer to like formally, you know, kind of go back on this complaint to be able to do it correctly. And then maybe they can start, you know, some, um, I don't know the right words, like mediation to resolve this mm-hmm. without going to court, um, to, for them to seek a judgment and all this stuff. So yeah. I got the lawyer and then, um, was getting sued. She bought me some time. So that was a year and a half. And then by the end of it, you know, she was like, we could really go to court and get this thrown out. They have everything. So at first she didn't like kind of believe me when I called her up and I said, Hey, this is the story. I'm getting sued for this, but they did all this like crazy stuff while I was in school. Um, can you help me out? And she kind of didn't get it. And then it came out and she's like, wow, like we really can go and just get this whole thing thrown out. I said, no, you know what? I owe the money. I took it out. Um, I'm mm. fine to pay it, but I just don't want this to happen to someone else. Uh, so long story short, I 
I got sued for that $30,000 loan. And that's what it looks like. It, it looks like a crazy process, which a lot of people don't know how to navigate because not everyone gets sued all the time. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny because I actually have a lot of experience with this because my husband defaulted on his student loans and ended up getting his paychecks garnished for three and a half years. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. So the shit is real. And he went to Rutgers too, but he didn't even finish. And that's the thing. Doesn't fucking matter. You still owe the money and that shit will ruin your life. Uh, No, it was through, I guess, Sally Mae. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Cause that's the loan. That it's like a predatory. <laughs> that's a predatory loan. And anybody that's listening that's about to go to school and maybe go to Rutgers, it's only a loan that exists in the state of Rutgers. Please Google that loan because a lot of Ooh, people. I, got, I had NJ class loans when I went to school, and those were the first I paid off because they were just the shittiest, Relentless. shittiest company ever. Well, that was the loan. They were the one that sued me. You can't oh discharge it. You can't, like, because it's this weird. Some of the uh, state. It's like a private loan, even though it it like right. <laughs> masquerades as a federal loan. It's the right. crazy shit I've ever seen. So yeah, so that's where my lawyer, she had never heard of it and was really confused about it. And I was like, no, it's this weird, like the this taxpayers of New Jersey, blah, blah, blah. And she looked into it and they have like a lot of terrible practices, like a lot. Yeah. Um, so anyway. I think the student loan industry itself is just built on predatory lending practices yeah. because- they're just preying on people that don't know shit. Like we don't know what we're signing up for at 18 years old. Like it's just, you cannot consent to taking out $150,000 of debt at 18 years old and actually know what that means. Unless somebody is literally sitting down with you and explaining to you, Hey, this is going to translate into $3,000 a month for the next 30 years of your life. Are you cool with that? I'm pretty sure most people will say hell fucking no. No, but then even it's so hard to quantify that even as an 18-year-old. Because right. then you're like, even, okay, best case scenario, say you're like, yeah, I'm cool. I'm going to get a good job. You think, <laughs> yeah, you think cool. that that's like, you can't, yeah, you can't convey that to an 18-year-old who might be a little arrogant or, you know, like, I just like, I'm, you know, uh, what is it? Indestructible. Um, so it's tough either way, even if they said no or yet, like, it doesn't matter. I just, and I think it's crazy. Like to your point, student loan companies will say, we'll give you 150,000, but God forbid an 18 year old goes to try to go get a credit card. You're going to get a secure joint at a, you know, $300, uh, limit. (laughs) Right. Talk about it. Or they'll force your parents to sign off on those loans too, and then ruin their lives as well, Right. which is just fucking fantastic. Right. Ugh, don't even get me started. Okay, so. Another episode. <laughs> yeah, that's a whole other episode. Okay. Um, okay, so what inspired you? Like, uh, you, so you said Mr. Money Mustache, you started kind of diving into like, there are different ways to deal with money. So how did you actually get started with getting rid of this debt? What was your game plan? How much total debt did you pay off? And what strategies did you use? Yeah. So to be very granular, the first thing that I did, I had $57,000 of debt. I paid that off in two years and nine months. And the very first thing that I did, um, oh, and also before I get into that, so two years, nine months, $57,000 of debt. I had good income. Um, I'll add that because I, I do think sometimes personal finance people like to like tout all this stuff that may not be applicable to someone with low income and they might mm-hmm. need to implement different strategies. Um, even still, though, with a good income, I also got a side hustle because I need to bring more income in the door. Um, so there was all that. The strategies that I put in place, uh, so those are like all the, the things that you need to know. The strategies that I put in place, the first thing I did was write down, sit down and put a budget in place to see how much money I was actually spending and where it was going and how much money I actually had extra that typically I would just use for brunch and, you know, just spend spend every last dollar of my paycheck how much did I have extra each paycheck to put towards debt now I have this goal in 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 mind right so I looked Mm -hmm. sat down did a zero based budget and people who are listening can google it but it's just quickly you take your check you spend it all on paper before it comes into your bank account spend it all on paper meaning you write down all of your budget categories you put a hundred to, I don't know, rent a hundred to food and you so on and so forth until you hit zero. And now you have this generated spending list for yourself before your paycheck comes in. So you know exactly where you need to put your money. Um, mm-hmm. And that could be even categories like 
you can put down coffee, $20 I want to spend for the month of May or whatever. So uh, put down a budget. I figured out how much extra money I would have every single paycheck and then what that looked like over the course of the year um, to put towards debt. And then I put a plan in place that got interrupted a little bit, but I put a plan in place, looked at a framework of like, how can I actually pay off this? Um, Because a lot of people think like, they'll just pay extra to everything and not really accomplish anything. Um, So there's two kind of schools of thought, which are pretty popular in the personal finance world, which is one being the debt snowball and the other being. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online store shop phase to the first real life store stage, all the way to the, did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. What I love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash dinero, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash dinero now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash dinero. Uh, the debt avalanche. The debt snowball, Mm -hmm. organizing, paying off your debts, smallest amount to largest amount, regardless of the interest on each of those debts um, while paying. So basically you pay that first debt down while paying the minimum on all of your other debts. And then once that smallest debt is paid off, then you go on to the next smallest debt on that list, pay the minimum, minimum on all those other debts while paying as much as you can to that smallest debt, so on and so forth. And then the debt avalanche is kind of the opposite where you organize paying off your debt, highest interest rate to lowest interest rate, regardless of how much you owe. Um, And then again, so you look at that list, you pay that highest interest rate uh, debt first, you put as much money as possible to that while paying the minimums on all the other debts and then continue to roll that money, so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. So I chose the snowball method. Yeah, I chose the snowball method. uh, And then three months in when I got sued, I needed to just put as much money as possible to my student loan. So that went on pause for a little bit. After I paid off my student loan, um, I then went back to uh, the debt snowball. But during that time, um, anything that I got extra bonuses, uh, tax refunds went directly to uh, debt. So none of that was um, being used, you know, like, for shoes or clothes and all that jazz. Um, so pick that framework. And then the next thing I did was get on, uh, I used cash envelopes so I could restrict my mm-hmm. spending even further and make sure whatever that spending list said, that's exactly how much money I was going to give myself to use. Um, yeah. And that really helped because over the course of like a month, two months, three months, after putting this framework in place, you start getting really comfortable and you start feeling like you're really in control when you have your budget and you see your like projected forecast and then it's even cooler when you can go beyond that projected forecast. So like my cash envelopes, I would pull out money for each category that I listed on my budget that I could actually pull out money for. So for example, food, 
Um, I spent $400 every month on food, period. What I would try to do, my goal would be, this is my allocation, it's $100 a week. Basically, that's what it breaks down to. Mm-hmm. My goal would be, can I spend less than that? And then whatever's left over from that 400, I put even more to towards my debt. So mm-hmm. in all of those categories, like I kind of try to challenge myself to ch- just put as much more, as much money as possible towards, um, towards my debt. And that really helps. So those three, those three things alone were probably the most transformative things I did other than getting a side hustle to bring in extra money to put more money towards the debt. So can you talk about the side hustle? What did you decide to do? Yeah, so I did photography for a a while. um, And then I also signed up for VIP Kid, did that like a couple of classes and that was it. But on the side hustle, I just started talking to friends, family. Um, I already had my camera gear. I did it for a little bit, uh, but then ramped back up as far as like taking pictures and going out and just trying to bring in that kind of money. And then random gigs in New York, girl. I did a Clinique. I was a Clinique arm model. Got 300 bucks for that. <laughs> Random wow. things. Yeah. There's actually an ad out there that, you know, like my arm has all these like lipstick palettes on it. Um, oh my God, that's hysterical. Yeah, <laughs> random random things like that um, for this, as far as the side hustle is concerned, just every extra piece of money. And then I would get tips from my photography and all that. So I would put it towards my debt. Um, mm-hmm. And then I actually forgot, and I don't recommend anyone do this, Um, especially if you have a long, like projection to pay off your debt, but I actually stopped contributing to my 401k so I could get extra money Mm. that way to put towards my debt. Uh, but I don't recommend that. Yeah. I was going to say, were you giving up a match at work by doing that? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's a tough choice, but you know, sometimes we just got to do things uh, that are a temporary sacrifice to get to where we want to be. And so one of the things I wanted to ask you is, you know, two years and was it nine months? Yep. That's a long time to stay in that headspace. Like, how Thank did you, you. keep that motivation? That. You're the girl. Friend. Like, <laughs> that takes yeah. some discipline. And I want to know, like, how the hell you did that? Because a lot of people would be like, I don't fuck this. Like, yeah. I've been my life on hold for almost three years. Like, this too much. <laughs> no, I love that you said that because a lot of people, whenever I do interviews, they're like, oh, that was such a short period of time, which granted to a lot of folks that is relative to, you know, the amount that I paid off. But at the same time, I always, I'm quick to remind people, like most people can't even keep a habit for 60 days, let alone three years and nine months. So regardless, like it was not fast while I was doing it. Trust me. (laughs) Yeah. So how did you stay in that headspace? Yeah. So I think the, the biggest thing was getting sued that really kept me motivated and I, and not everyone, obviously, <laughs> That'll do it. <laughs> That'll do it. but it was kind of like, I, I, cause after that I could have stopped, right. I could have like just gone about my business and gone back to just paying my other debt that was on time and in good standing the way that I had started that three months in. And I think getting sued, like really put things into perspective. One, it like put pressure on my job, which I already hated that I need to be at in order to pay it back. And I was like, look, like, look at the predicament that I've put my, I've chosen basically to put myself in this through inaction and like just being careless. Um, But then the second thing that really kept me motivated is that I knew like any, basically anything I put my mind to, I know that I can get it done. And I knew that on the other side of this, there would be so many more options for me um, once I could pay this off. And I, after I got sued and like could breathe for a second, I didn't want to lose that momentum and really decided to dig in deeper to get this paid off as fast as possible so I could separate from my job or feel, find more clarity around my job and what I wanted to do Mm -hmm. now. Um, So that was my motivation. That was my why. My why was like, I want to give myself options and stop allowing this stress to like penetrate every inch of my being because I'm, again, I'm I, at that point I was choosing to put myself in this like situation and yeah. the motivation just to be able to quit was like my ultimate why. Okay. That like, look, I could totally relate to that so much. I think a lot of us are tied to jobs And the only reason why is because we need that money for Mm -hmm. debt. Like, and so being free from that, what did you actually end up doing once you decided to walk away? So 
It was, I mean, like, so it took me a year to walk away because I was like, okay, I need to get this cash. I need to stack it. Um, and I need to like figure out what I want to do next. And over the course of the year, so I paid off that debt and I started just saving as much as possible. I wasn't exactly sure what I wanted to do, but I went even further. Like I kept that same mentality that I had paying off the debt and transferred that right over. And so basically my, my journey was like four years. If you think about it, I carried that over into like saving as much as I could. Um, so I kept those same things, the budgeting, the cash envelopes, the strict budget, all this stuff. So I could save as much as possible to be able to quit my job. Um, and I pivoted into coding because I was like, naturally, I think this is a good step to an industry to get into um, because I know like my earning potential is kind of limitless within this field. I've mm-hmm. researched and done all the salaries and all that stuff. But outside of the money, because I was like, okay, I've already gotten myself into a position where I did something specifically for the money and didn't like yes. it. So let me, you know, pass, what is it? Like past results might not equal future outcome, whatever. (laughs) But I was like, no, I'm going to lean on the fact that this is probably going to be the case if I go into doing it for the money. So I said, Mm -hmm. let me start like experimenting with things. I, over the course of that year that I was saving the money, I started teaching myself how to code and I really liked it. And then, oh, the byproduct of that is, well, there's also really good salaries within this field. It's scalable, all this stuff, all these all these good things that came with it. These tech companies are worlds apart from what they are in finance. Like, this is something I want to do. So dug into that, saved the money, um, applied to some coding boot camps. There was some initiative here in Connecticut that uh, the Connecticut government wanted to keep, keep tech jobs here. So they were offering this program for free um, for Connecticut residents. We just moved to Connecticut. Um, and girl, I was like, I, I'm not going to go back into debt for this opportunity. And it worked <laughs> out perfect. Wow. My job September, uh, September of 2019 to, uh, code. And I literally wrote that on a sheet of paper in October of, uh, 2018. My next goal was to quit my job by September or yes, save enough money to quit my job by September of 2019. And that's exactly what I did. Wow. That is powerful. Like, yo, manifestation is a real thing. I don't I don't think people realize this, but like there is so much that goes behind when you actually put something out in the universe. Mm-hmm. I truly believe that it conspires with you. Yes. And on the flip side, if you're in a shitty headspace and that's all you obsess about, that's where you're going to stay. Right. So it's important to recognize that it's a double-sided coin. Absolutely, absolutely, 100%. All right, so you got like a full scholarship to this coding boot camp then. Mm-hmm. And typically the coding boot camps are like uh, fifteen to 18000 Wow. Okay, so what was that like? Um, so that experience was actually pretty cool. It was, you know, you go in and it's people from all backgrounds, all ages, um, which was really interesting. You're there for three months. It's an intensive coding boot camp. So on the when you come out, you're essentially a junior software developer in uh, mm-hmm. the tech space. Uh, you learn all these different technologies very quickly. It was a lot of long nights. So the program's 40 hours every week for 12 weeks, thir- uh, 12 and a half weeks. And then mm-hmm. um, at night, you're expected to go home, do like bust out all these websites, come in the next day, you learn something new. So it was really intense. Like on the weekends, my friends knew that I couldn't do much um, because I was either working on big projects or like trying to just get the next assignment done or catch up, whatever. Um, So that was a really, really, really intense process. And before Mm -hmm. uh, I graduated, everybody, you know, we're trying to apply because now you're worried about the next step, which is jobs. Um, I got a job two days before I ended up graduating. So that was actually really nice. Yes. That's amazing. Okay. So what does your future look like for you now with this coding experience and working in tech? Working in tech. So now I am, so because of that job, uh, which has led to many great things, I was actually laid off now because of um, COVID. So (laughs) that is, yeah, uh, I look at it, that is a great opportunity um, to enhance my skills because a lot of my classmates had you know, a little bit of downtime between getting their jobs um, mm-hmm. to learn and shore up their skills. So right now, what it looks like in tech is uh, looking for a, a job currently, but also working on my own project to bring um, 
like budgeting to a whole new level as it relates to like our personal finance world. So mm-hmm. I'm working on building a budgeting um, application that basically bakes in all of the things that I had to learn in two years and nine months. Um, that is very different than all of these applications out there right now because um, I don't think it, it brings that like personal experience to the table, which doesn't lend itself to like masses of users, right? Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, so I'm right now I'm coding an, a budgeting app. Uh, while looking for a job that uh, oh no big deal (laughs) (laughs) that's amazing oh my gosh I think this is such an inspiring story because I think so many people are scared to like make that pivot or just even be honest with themselves and say like look this thing that I thought I wanted to do it's just not for me anymore and I want to like do something about it but like I think that's where a lot of people get stuck Mm -hmm. they don't even know like what to do so like what advice would you have for somebody who's maybe thinking about a pivot like where do they need to go with their minds? Like, what do they need to really just be honest with themselves about? Yeah. So, um, I think like the, the hardest thing is even for me, I'm such a security person. Everything has to be lined up. And another reason why finance was attractive because you have these, you know, stable companies, you get the healthcare, you got good salaries. Um, so for me, the pivot took longer than it needed to. And I was thinking about this today. It's not that I regret anything, but I just wish I would have done it sooner. Um, mm-hmm. Because like you said, all that manifestation, the, the universe will build the net for you if you have the courage to leap. And I think mm-hmm. the biggest thing for a lot of people to make that pivot, <laughs> there, there was never going to be enough money for me to make the pivot. Uh-huh. There was never yeah. going to be because I am so I like again I'm so focused on security and I think a lot of people have that background. Well, like what what if I fail? What if I do this? Like what if I can't pivot? Uh, or like you know I can't save enough money and do all this stuff. I think the mindset yeah. that you have to have is like choosing, <laughs> like I was living paycheck to paycheck. No, choosing to look at all of the possibilities because that same amount of effort. Uh, you can take that same amount of effort and look at all of the negative stuff that might come. And it's not to say like to be blindly optimistic towards things, but if you can focus that, because it takes the same level of energy. It just depends on where you want to put your focus. Either you put it to the good mm-hmm. or to the bad. And I think more times than not, if you can focus on the good while preparing as much as possible for the bad, um, so being like cautiously uh, optimistic, your chances are you're going to fall right in the middle if not over to that positive indicator. Um, So I think like really focusing on the positive and then even I've been reading this book 10X um, and he talks about like why he's, if I had a goal and let's say it was to save $100,000 and then I switched it to, uh, you know, a million, I want to save a million. He goes, what would you rather fall short at? The 100,000 or the the Mm. 1 million? And I'm like, that that makes so so much sense. So why not aim high? Why not aim high? Because right. then you'll fall, you know, you might possibly fall somewhere in the middle. And that's kind of what happened with me with my my debt. Like, you know, I aimed to have that paid off. It, and that was pretty aggressive um, in two years or like, you know, shorter, a shorter time frame, two years in two year, two and a half years. And I ended up, you know, missing the mark by three months. Like that was okay yeah. for me. I still hit it. You still did it. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. That's such good advice. And I love the, you know, the cautious optimism and just having a plan, right? I think mm-hmm. like once you have a plan, like you know where to go, you know what to do. And I think once you can see that, whether it's on paper or like reading yourself, a, you know, recording an audio note or something, like just putting it out there and giving yourself permission to even think about those possibilities is like so important because then it just opens up your mind to options. Absolutely. I think thinking about like, like you said, just, just thinking about the possibilities because when I was in debt, I'm telling you, I'll be the first to tell you right now. I couldn't, I couldn't see past the debt. I couldn't see past my options of just like going into work and wanting to cry. Um, which is like scary and where where a lot of folks are. But as soon as I started like making a plan to get out of that, the the options became so much more clear. So I think it's very important to like allow yourself to think about the possibilities. Mm, Love that. Okay. So speaking of plans, because now you are considered a 
an expert in personal finance, because of your experience, you were able to really give people plans to handle debt, tackle their financial goals. So what advice would you give to someone who wants to get control of their finances, but doesn't even know where to start? Um, My biggest thing is, let's not overcomplicate this, write it down and write what (laughs) what is it? What do you want to do? Do you want to save more money? Do you want to get out of debt? Do you want to save for retirement? I get a lot of those questions like, oh, I want to invest. Well, what are you investing for? Just to invest or is it for retirement? Like those are two Mm -hmm. very different things. And then we can go into that. But my biggest advice is write it down. So first figure out what you are trying to accomplish. And then the second thing is, is if you can think about when, by when you want to accomplish that. So there's like the, you know, breaking that down and maybe to the short term or long term. People might think this is corny or cheesy or whatever, but this is like very important because this is going to give you the guidance you need in order to create a plan. Then the next thing you need to do, so write down your goal. I want to get out of debt. How much debt does that look like? Okay, by when do I want to get out of this? By when realistically can I get out of this? And then um, four, get organized, write, you have to write all this down. Basically, my, my biggest point takeaway is write it down. You got to get organized. And in order to do that, you need to write your goals by when you want to get it done, how much that looks like. And then you want to write down all of your uh, different debts, um, their interest rates, the balance, the minimums. And then you want to write down a budget. You want to just start getting some action into place. And the first thing that you can do is just write down and get organized about what exactly it is you're trying to do Um, because you don't want to be out here being aimless. Yes. It's great advice. And I think the only thing that I've learned that's useful for me from a corporate environment is this concept of SMART goals, Mm, right? I don't know if you've heard of them, but SMART goals stand for a specific, measurable, achievable, relevant, time-based goal, right? So we're talking about what exactly do you want to accomplish? What does that look like from a measurement standpoint? Are you paying off $50,000 of debt? Put a number on it. Is it achievable? I believe anything's achievable. So that's just, you know, at the end of the day. Um, Is it relevant to you? Like, how is it going to improve your life by achieving this goal? And then put a time on it. How long is it going to take you to do this? Once you have that framework, like you can do anything. Right. And it's also like, you got to be realistic too. Cause some people will be like, Oh, I could do this in a year. No, you can't. You make $10,000. Yes. You have $60,000. Unless, <laughs> unless you're going to get an inheritance, how are you going to do that? Um, and like you yes. said, everything's achievable, but it has to be, I think you also have to set yourself up with realistic expectations because the first people are ready to quit at the first piece of our, you know, whenever something adversarially comes their way, mm-hmm. um, and they can't do it. It's like, oh, well, I thought I was going to have X done by this time. It's like, no, your expectations were just incorrect about that. That yeah. goal's still great, but you were trying to do that in a year, burn yourself out on both ends of the candle when really you would have been able to hit that at year, uh, you know, a year and a half if your expectations were cap- calibrated correctly. Um, but now you find yourself four months in and you're burnt out and don't want to do it anymore. So Such good advice. That's something just to consider. (laughs) Yep. Okay. So I'm curious, do you have a money mantra? And if you do, what is it? Yeah. So I, my favorite thing is you're always one decision away from a totally different life. Um, Mm. That could be, you know, you go in to the the Apple store to get a new laptop. That decision might (laughs) have a very big (laughs) financial impact down the road. Um, Me getting out of debt. That was one decision that has completely transformed my life. Uh, me looking to focus on my next big goal would be to like max out my 401k whenever I do get a job um, because I've never done that. So that is going to be mm-hmm. like a relentless goal that I'm going to go after just so I can like say at least one year I did it. Um, <laughs> I did it. I maxed out my 401k. Uh- Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Uh, yes. So I think my money mantra is like being able to apply that quote to a lot of things. It's like, you're always one decision away from a totally different life and putting that into perspective as far as like, do you want to, you know, contribute to your 401k or do you want to go to that brunch for a hundred dollars? Um, mm. And then those things like start adding up. And my second thing is like a quote that I love by Warren Buffett is the chains of habit are too light to be felt until they're too heavy to be broken. Um, yes, 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 yes. That <laughs> is serious, serious shit right there. Shout it's, out to Warren. <laughs> right. It's so serious. Cause it's like, yeah, it's easy for you to keep going to Starbucks and spending that $5 and not saying like, you know, we got to cut the avocado toast and all that. Cause that's not, I hate that financial advice per se. Um, <laughs> it's, it's like, come on, come on, sis. Like yeah. you got to come up with something new in 2020. Um, we do. <laughs> but I, like, you know, there is some truth to it, right? The, the, what is it? The latte factor that $5 can mm. really sink your ship over time, especially if that's a, a large percentage of your, you know, your take home income. Um, so just looking at that, like your habits, what you're doing, because then that becomes, they become harder and harder to break when it comes to your money. Living paycheck to paycheck up until 2016 was hard for me to break, trying to save my first thousand dollars because I was consistently always living paycheck to paycheck, always wanting to spend every single do- dollar was hard for me to break. Um, yeah. So there's something to think about. It's a conscious decision to be mindful about your money. Like mm. you can't go through life just being mindless about where the shit is going and then wonder why you have no idea where it went because you're not right. even paying attention to it. A hundred percent. When people would like, Oh, so how much do you, I was like, do you know how, you, how much you spend on groceries? It's like, I don't know, like 500. I'll tell you right now, I spend 400 every single month. Do you know why and yeah. how I know that? I can tell you every single line item on my budget off the top of my head now because it became such wow. a big habit. You know what I'm saying? So it's just like before, girl, I don't, I don't like, I don't know how much I'm spending on food. No idea. Right. Yeah. <laughs> No, it's it's crazy once that mindset shift happens. Like you think about who you were in a past life, and you're just like, who the hell was she? She was so reckless with her life. Reckless, the most <laughs> reckless. Oh my goodness. Oh my gosh. Well, Carmen, I appreciate this story. I appreciate you sharing with us so much. You have, you're just like a, a you're just, you're just fucking goals. Like that's really Aww, what it comes down you. to. And so for anybody who wants to find out more about you and follow your journey, where can we find you? On all things at Make Real Sense. I like to cut up on all of my social media. So at Make Real Sense, C-E-N-T-S, Sense, um, like the change. Uh, But yeah, I'm on there. I like to, you know, don't get lost. (laughs) Don't get lost at the fact that I like to like cut up, be funny. Because uh, I will provide you with, you know, relevant information, but I do like to throw in jokes here and there. Because um, again, I like to make mon- money funny. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's enough boring ass white people out there talk about money. So it's nice to see someone like you who is making it approachable, making it fun and making it something that you actually want to learn about. So I just appreciate everything that you're doing. Keep up the good work. I cannot wait to see your budgeting app come out. I can't yes. wait to see you be like the next startup queen out there in the tech world. Yeah. I'm just wishing you so much success. Thank you so much. Thank you. I really, really appreciate those kind words. Um, And that testimony over me, girl, I appreciate it. I'll take it. (laughs) Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you. I told you you were going to love this episode. Am I right? I mean, I'm just so grateful to Carmen for coming on the show and literally explaining to us how she transformed her life, because I think it is so important for us to share our stories, right? We all start from a place and most often that place is not where we are today. And so 
Carmen's story. I hope it inspires you. I hope it motivates you. And I hope it makes you realize that it is never too late to make a change. You could literally look at your life six months to a year from now and completely be a different person, spiritually, financially, mentally. And all it takes is making that decision and then putting in the work. So if you're loving this podcast, if you're loving the episodes and the guests that we have on the show, please make sure to visit YoQuieroDineroPodcast.com. Yes, y'all, we do have a blog that accompanies this podcast, and you can see the episode show notes. You can find out more about our guests. You can read all kinds of personal finance articles that we're writing to help you get your dinero together, okay? So definitely visit, definitely subscribe to the podcast that way every Sunday, you get that little notification that says that there's a new episode waiting for you. And until next time, guys, stay on the grind, stay focused, and stay poderosa. On the Yo Quiero Dinero podcast and associated entities, all information provided is for general information purposes only and does not constitute accounting, legal, tax, or other professional advice. Listeners should not act upon the content or information found here without first seeking appropriate advice from an accountant, financial planner, lawyer, or other professional. We assume no responsibility for information contained on this podcast and associated entities and disclaim all liability with respect to such information, including but not limited to any liability for errors, inaccuracies, omissions, or misleading or defamatory statements. Usage of this podcast and associated content constitutes an explicit understanding and acceptance of the terms of this disclaimer.